It is my joy to welcome you to today's podcast. Our prayer is that the Lord will minister to you in a special way during our time together. It is a joy to be with you again this morning, to be able to share the word. It's already been over a month since we celebrated our church anniversary, and I was able to be with you on that Sunday. And it's been five long months since we started having online services. And I was struck as I was reading one of the prophets this past week, and I thought, I want to share this thought with all of our, with all of you and with the church. And this is what Habakkuk says in chapter 1 and verse 2. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? Let's just have a word of prayer. Father, we just come once again into your presence. We thank you that we're gathered in your name. And Lord, we're just believing that your peace will rest upon every heart and mind as they uh, tune into this service, that we'll hear from you and that our hearts will be encouraged. We thank you. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. All of us have problems in our lives. Habakkuk was a man who had problems. What makes the problems and cares of life seem bearable is that they have a time limit. Tomorrow, I'll hear if I get that new job. Next week, I have vacation. One more year, and the kids will be through college. Somehow, we can cope when there is a time limit. But uncertainties are so much more difficult to handle. How long will I be in the hospital? When will this pandemic end? Will my savings last until I get a new job? These are the things that give us great distress. And we call upon the Lord in prayer, but often days, sometimes months, maybe even years go by, and we cry like Habakkuk, How long, O Lord? And while we wait, sometimes we pace the floor, we watch the clock, We worry about the outcome. Sometimes we bargain with God. Sometimes we threaten or we whine. We blame. I I was thinking, while truly the writer of Proverbs said, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Waiting is one of the hardest disciplines that we face. It really is the supreme test of faith. And this is what Habakkuk was facing as he begins his prophecy. I think we can all identify with this prophet. He is really one of the minor players in the Bible. His name is mentioned only in this book, in these chapters. And there's no personal background, no family history. We don't know anything else actually about Habakkuk. However, his prophetic message is important. There's some beautiful Uh, verses here that we all use regularly. It has only three brief chapters. There's 56 verses in all. But they tell the story of one man's personal experience with God. I think what's interesting, he's not prophesying to the people of Judah, but really the book records this one man's personal experience with God. It's kind of an intimate look into the heart of a man of God. It shows how the prophet Habakkuk comes through a period of anxiety and confusion to a climax of victory. 
So I want us to uh, look into that for a few moments because the book of Habakkuk provides insights for dealing with those silent periods when God seemingly has put you on hold. The prophet bombarded heaven with questions about life's inequalities and, and the answers that God gave him maybe will help us to deal with some of our questions. There's four things that are notable about Habakkuk. He was a man with problems. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of faith. And he was a man of praise. I'm going to read the first four verses of chapter 1. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Out of the moderate, one modern Christian myth says that when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, when you receive him as your Savior, all your problems will cease. Unfortunately, they don't. Your basic sin problem is solved. You accept the Lord as your Savior. But your relationship with God comes with a whole new set of problems that you did not face when you were an unbeliever, such as why do good people suffer and evil people prosper? Why isn't God answering my prayer? Or when I am doing my best for the Lord, why do I experience the worst from others? Habakkuk lived and prophesied 600 years before Christ. It was during the declining years of Judah. Good King Josiah had died, and his successor, Jehoiakim, had been leading the nation closer and closer to disaster. Listen to his testimony. I read the words of violence, injustice, destruction, uh, strife, conflict, uh, these were difficult times in Judah, times of spiritual delinquency, political instability, national crisis. And as he surveyed what was happening in his country, he found himself struggling with some serious issues that concern many believers today. Why is God silent in the face of widespread sin and injustice? Why do the wicked prosper while the godly is oppressed? When is God going to take care of the situation I want to look at the, some of the questions. Actually, there's two main questions, and we're going to just briefly mention those that Habakkuk asks. First question, the problem of unanswered prayer. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Habakkuk asked. And then he said a second time, or cry out to you. That cry out, it literally means to scream, to cry out with a loud voice. What was he crying? What was he screaming about? His basic question was how God could allow his rebellious people to get away with so much sin and wickedness without being punished. He seems especially concerned about the violence in the land. It's mentioned, that word is mentioned six times in chapters 1 and 2. And of course, those words, injustice, destruction, strife, conflict, I thought they could be describing our world today, couldn't they, in the 21st century. In any age, violence is the deadly byproduct of sin. 
When men disregard God's law and lose respect for Him, they lose respect for their fellow man made in God's image. We certainly see it in our day. The indiscriminate bombings, often targeting places of worship, like churches, mosques, gurudwaras, the brutal killings, the victims of religious intolerance and persecution, the senseless violence in our cities. The prophet's complaint was legitimate. He wanted God's name to be honored. And instead, it seemed that God's enemies were in control and God was doing nothing about it. Habakkuk's cry represents the burden of all godly people. How long? I'm just going to briefly mention God's answer. You find that in verses 5 to 11. I'm not going to read all those verses, but I'm just going to say God did not keep Habakkuk waiting for long. He assured the prophet that the wicked will be punished. And here comes the shocker. He is raising up the ruthless Babylonians to do the job. Now Habakkuk has a new problem. This is problem number two. Why the wicked prosper? His new question was, how could a holy God use a wicked nation to punish his own special people? The Babylonians deserve punishment themselves. How could God use them to discipline his own children? Now, I know our problems today may not be exactly the same as in Habakkuk's day, but I think there is such a parallel between those times. They were turbulent, uncertain times. There was spiraling inflation, lack of national and international leadership, spiritual apathy, mounting family problems. We live in a world like that today. And life's problems will actually usually do one of three things to us. They, first of all, might cause us to break. We give in to defeat and despondency. Or they cause us to lash out with hostility and rebellion. We see a lot of that today. Or they will cause us to break through, to find the answer by trusting in the grace and power of God. Habakkuk chose the latter. Chapter 1 raised many questions. How long? Why? But as we move on to Habakkuk 2, it pictures the prophet waiting on God for his answer. I love this picture. Habakkuk was a man of prayer. Look at 2 in verse 1. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. In the King James, it says on the tower. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. I immediately thought of Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 17. God says to Ezekiel, I have made you a watchman. Talks about that throughout the book of Ezekiel. Actually, Habakkuk's first step toward victory was a step of prayer. In the depths of his problems, he remembered that he had a watchtower of prayer. As a watchman looks out from his vantage point to give warning of danger, the prophet would go and watch for an answer from heaven. I read this once. When the outlook is dark, try the uplook. Prayer turned Habakkuk's attention from the problems to the solution. 
Problem-centeredness is not a healthy attitude. It leads to frustration, worry, stress. Worry is the result maybe of past failure or sometimes present insecurity or future uncertainty. It's not always the large, giant problems that seem to destroy us. Often it's the small, subtle problems that drain our happiness and spoil our effectiveness. I read of a huge tree on the slope of Long's Peak in Colorado. Naturalists say that it had stood for over 400 years. It had weathered thousands of storms. It had been struck by lightning 14 times. In the end, an army of beetles attacked the tree and leveled it to the ground. This tremendous giant that age had not withered and lightning had not destroyed fell at last before beetles so small that a man could crush them between his forefinger and his thumb. Many people survived somehow the strong storms of fear, the lightning blasts of doubt, but they allow the beetles of worry, fear, stress, and tension to destroy happiness and, sadly sometimes, even faith. The conquest of worry begins with prayer. Be anxious for nothing but in everything with prayer and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. We sing the words of that beautiful hymn. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. When Habakkuk went to the tower to pray, the very next verse, 2 and verse 2, says this, And the Lord answered me. Thirdly, Habakkuk was a man of faith. Not only was he a man of problems and a man of prayer, but the message of this small book demonstrates that he was a man of great faith. In fact, the central theme of God's answer to Habakkuk during his period of questioning and confusion is recorded in this next section. In verse chapter 2 and verse 4, it has these profound words, the just will live by his faith. I want to talk as we go into this section about God's second answer. His second question was, how could you use a nation more wicked than we are to bring punishment on us? Once again, the Lord answered Habakkuk by giving him a message. Actually, this time he gave a message intended for the whole nation. He told Habakkuk in verse 2, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets. He wanted him to spread this word. God's message actually here, there were two parts, I would say, good news and bad news. The good news was God was also going to judge Babylon. They weren't going to get away with their wickedness. God's word was a promise. There was ultimately going to be deliverance for Israel and on the other side, punishment for the Babylonians after they had fulfilled God's purpose as a means to discipline his people. A time is coming when all the wicked will be destroyed and the only people not shaken would be the righteous, those who related to God by their faith. The bad news. The prophecy was not going to be fulfilled the next day. God's working would take time. Look at verse 
3 of chapter 2, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. The revelation is waiting for an appointed time. The people of God would have to wait until the day of deliverance finally came. Their faith would be tried in the fires of affliction. But note God's encouraging promise. It will surely, certainly come. Those words would comfort and sustain them through the 70 long years of their captivity in Babylon. Paul quoted these exact words to comfort the suffering New Testament church. Listen to what he says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 to 38. So, do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. The King James says you need to have patience so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. Now the just or the righteous will live by faith. Like Habakkuk, we must wait for the Lord's righteous intervention at the end of this age. Ultimately, Christ will take away the righteous from the earth. We've, I mentioned that in my last message. That's called the rapture of the church. There will be destruction on all evil. But I want to move on to really the key verse, I believe, in this prophecy. It's found near the center of the book, and it's in chapter 2. It's in verse 4. It's talking about Babylon. See, he is puffed up. His His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. This is the key verse of this Uh, prophecy, this marvelous statement, the righteous, or in the King James, it says the just will live by faith. It's only seven words, actually seven syllables, very small words. It's quoted at least in three other books. Paul quotes it in Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. He quotes it in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11. We just read in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38. These may be the seven most important syllables in all of church history. It was a phrase, the the phrase, the just shall live by faith, that Martin Luther read in Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. And it helped lead him into the truth of justification by faith. This text became the principle upon which the Protestant Reformation was founded. This text, said Martin Luther, was to me the true gate to paradise. Now, what do we mean by faith? Briefly, it means firmly believing and trusting in the crucified and risen Christ as our Lord and Savior. Faith includes obedience to Jesus Christ and His Word and a personal devotion and loyalty to Him. Faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, it's it's an act of a single moment and it's a continuing virtue that will grow, should grow throughout your Christian life. One translation of this verse says, the just shall live in his faithfulness. Faithfulness is doing the best you can with the best you have under all circumstances. It's one of the noblest of all Christian virtues, beloved. Faithfulness at home, faithfulness on the job, faithfulness in your service to Christ. We are exhorted in the last book of the Bible, be faithful even unto death and I will give you 
the crown of life. I love how he ends the second chapter. He knows, the, he sees the evil. God talks about the wickedness of the Babylonians. But verse 20 of chapter 2 ends like this. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. He is the Lord of the whole earth. But I want to move on to a man of praise. When you go into the third chapter of the book of Habakkuk, it, there's a, a distinct change in the whole atmosphere. Actually, he's considered by many writers to be one of the writers of one of the most beautiful psalms in the Bible. He has moved from problems to prayer to faith or faithfulness. Now he's moved to song. This chapter is a prayer song that might have been used in temple worship in Jerusalem. Habakkuk has received God's answer to his complaints. His response is one of prayer and praise. Few passages in the Word of God exceed Habakkuk's song of praise and exaltation. I, I love the fact that he recognizes that God is sover, sovereign over all. We read it there in, in 220, the, all the earth. And that life, no matter how difficult, is under his divine control. Look at chapter 3 and verse 2, beautiful words. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. And then he goes on with this cry and his prayer, renew them in our day. I said, yes, Lord, renew them in our day. Your deeds, your fame. Does the news of the disaster to come bring fear to the prophet's heart? Of course. Look at verse 16. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. I think that's a picture of great fear. And read the next verse. It's so beautiful. It's actually the part of that same one. Even in the midst of the turmoil, he looks to God and he says this, Yet I will wait patiently. For the day of calamity, he's bringing, talking about the calamity God is going to bring to come on the nation invading us. It's a long way down the road. The calamity hasn't even come to Judah yet. And then later, that calamity is going to come to the country of the Babylonians. I will wait patiently. But I think the, the, the verses that are, are so amazing. These words of trust and faith. I'm going to start reading from verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. I mean, this is a picture of total annihilation of their society, isn't it? No crops, no animals. And what is his response? Verse number 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I, that is just one of the most astounding verses of Scripture. Even if all of this happens to me, Lord, I trust you. You're sovereign. 
I will trust in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Immediately, it reminds me of that beautiful affirmation of Job in his time of fierce trial. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And then Habakkuk concludes with a beautiful word of victory. This is verse 19 of chapter 3. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Habakkuk's faith is deeply rooted in the faithfulness of God. The invasion would mean great loss. The livelihood of the nation would be destroyed. Agriculture stopped. Livestock seized or killed. But one consolation remained. God would not forsake his people. I kind of picture Habakkuk when he started his book. I don't know if you call it a book. It's almost a journal, a personal journal. When he started, he was in the valley wrestling with the will of God, full of questions, crying out. And then he climbed higher and he stood on the watchtower waiting for God's reply. After hearing God's word and seeing God's glory, he becomes, he says here, like a deer bounding confidently on the mountain heights. What had happened? His circumstances had not changed at all. But his outlook had changed. He was now walking by faith instead of by sight. He was living by promises, not by explanations. He knew God would be his savior an unfailing source of strength. I love that those words, the sovereign Lord is my strength. Is your experience like that of Habakkuk? He began his prayer with fear and trembling, but he concluded it with joy and triumph. It's not easy to climb higher in the life of faith, but it certainly is better than living in the valley of despair. Like Habakkuk, we must honestly talk to God about our problems. We must pray and we must take God at his word. I want to assure you, God's silence is not a sign of abandonment. He is very much in touch with your situation. Faith must accept that fact and rest in it. In spite of the circumstances, are you living by faith? The righteous will live by faith. A posture of faith can turn your question marks into exclamation points. You too can sing as you wait for God to fulfill his promises. Father, we just cover your church with your grace today. Lord, you know the situations we face. You know the questions you know the problems. You know in some the despair, the discouragement. We pray that you would help them to reach out, to go to their tower of prayer, to call upon the name of the Lord, and to see and to, to experience the strength of the Almighty God and the salvation of the Lord in every situation. We thank you. We ask these blessings in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. May God bless each one of you. 
Thank you for taking time to listen. If you would like more information about our church or would like to make a comment, please mail us at info at newlifeag.in. God bless you.